0: The Cultured Meat Symposium is back in San Francisco on October 28th and 29th, 2022. This year, the theme of the event is creativity and commerce. Learn more and register at www.cms2022.com. Thanks for joining us on the Future Food Show, a podcast about the future of food technology and the science behind it. On this episode, we're excited to have Will Patrick of Culture Biosciences. Culture Biosciences essentially acts as a bioreactor in the cloud, allowing companies to radically accelerate their research. We learn about the basics about the platform and its ideal applications. Will is a super interesting and friendly guy, and I had a great chat with him. Let's jump right in. Thanks for joining us on the Future Food Show. We're super excited to have Will Patrick on the show today. Will, welcome to the show. Hey, Alex. Thanks so much for having me. It's uh, it's a real pleasure being here. Well, I feel like we've been talking about having someone from your team on the show for quite some time, so I'm really excited that we were able to make it happen. Uh, but I want to first start off with you. Tell us a little bit about your background.
1: Well, uh, you know, I'm someone who loves manufacturing and fabrication, and I've always liked making things. Uh, and that, that passion is actually what originally got me into biomanufacturing. Um, yeah, you know, I had really been into material science and working with new materials, and I was doing that in grad school with like biomaterials, um, and that was sort of where I was seeing these companies utilize biomanufacturing to make new biomaterials, like maybe you know new leathers or new plastics, um, and that sort of piqued my interest, and I was like really fascinated about how sort of underlying science, like how can you engineer an organism. Uh, you know, by changing its DNA to produce all different types of molecules, uh, reprogramming sort of, you know, chemistry and, and metabolism to make make new things, uh, make, make new molecules sort of like that, um, make a new palette of different materials in which uh, engineers and fabricators and designers can utilize to, to build things. And so I was really passionate about that sort of like core idea of biomanufacturing when I was in grad school and sort of Because, again, because of this sort of uh, interest and background and passion for sort of manufacturing and fabrication. Um, So that's sort of what started my interest in biomanufacturing. And this was a long time ago, um, seven or eight years ago, I guess now. Um, And um, that eventually led me to wonder why more things weren't biomanufactured and why weren't more of these bioplastics or biomaterials or what have you being produced uh and because it seemed so amazing and so fascinating and like there was so much potential but it was sort of on un- potential was uh it was always sort of things that were possible in the future or the you know there was initial progress but there weren't they weren't scaled up and so i was very curious about how biomanufacturing could be accelerated could there be new tools could there be new approaches um and that's sort of what led to the beginnings of, of thinking about culture
0: biosciences.
1: That's a little bit about my background and, and how it relates to starting the company.
0: Very cool. And, and I will definitely say that the listeners of this show are super interested in all these next-gen materials that we're starting to see come out of cellular agriculture. So I'd love to dive into that a little bit later. Um, but you know, tell us about culture biosciences and when the company was started and kind of the overall purpose of the company
1: yeah well, we started in 2016, and we started with me and my co-founder matt who are we're we're engineers we're not bioprocess scientists or biologists or we're not even chemical engineers we're we're hardware and software engineers, and so we were coming at this from the perspective of we're really it, we see so much potential for biomanufacturing in the future food or future materials or therapeutics, and it seems to us as outsiders that it's really time consuming and expensive to develop these biomanufacturing processes and scale them. And we were just sort of trying to peel back the sort of layers of why that was the case and see if there was new technologies or solutions that might accelerate things. We also were really, you know, again, because we're sort of hardware and software engineers, we're used to using like platform tools um, and technologies for our work. And software, that's obviously like cloud infrastructure uh, and SaaS tools and all the DevOps tooling that exists um, that really accelerates the modern software engineer's work. And hardware engineering could be different CAD platforms or even, um, you know, these various rapid manufacturing and digital fabrication services that enable very quick turn, rapid prototyping, accelerate, like getting to market and manufacturing very quickly. Um, and we, when we were initially looking at biomanufacturing, we just didn't see these types of platform tools that were accelerating the work of bioprocess scientists and biomanufacturing. So that, that, that was sort of a, a core sort of sort of thing that we were feeling and an intuition we had is that there seems like there could be better tooling here um, that could accelerate these scientists. So, um, originally with, um, uh, with culture, we, we really just had that very high level perspective. And then we started looking at specific ideas. Um, and, and so specific problems and specific ideas. So we spent about, you know, two or three months sort of sitting in various laboratories of, of different companies. Um, like for example, we spent, I think a couple of weeks with uh, move Free, <laughs> which is now perfect day. I think there were like six or seven people at the time just sort of hanging out in their small fermentation lab at the time. I think they had like 4 five bi-liter bioreactors. Um, we spent a lot of time with Geltor, which I think was called Geltor then, or maybe they were still called Gelsen. I can't remember. They were also at a sort of similar stage, maybe like five, six, seven people um, really understanding their fermentation process and like what they were doing. Uh, we were we visited Clara Foods. At the time, we were also visiting like Amorous. You know, we're based in the Bay Area, so we we're we we're going all these synthetic biology startups. So we were just trying to spend a lot of time understanding how people were doing their work, what were this, the hardware they were using, what were the bioreactors, what were the different features of these bioreactors, how are the bioreactors being built, how much did the bioreactors cost, how much, you know, uh, what were what was all the you know operational processes they were using um how many people did it require to run these systems what was the data systems like how are they designing their experiments how are they tracking all the data where was the data sitting and so just trying to map all that out and that took a bunch of time for us and then you know that sort of corpus of research and understanding led to various different concepts Um, one of the the first concepts was this very simplistic idea of, oh, we there should be like a, you know, like an Amazon Web Services for bioreactors. Um, and so that was a very, to us, like very um, obvious sort of perspective. Um, but it did take some time to unpack, like, what does that actually mean? Uh, but, you know, the core thing was, Hey, we're going and visiting all these companies. They're all running bioreactors. They're telling us running bioreactors is pretty core to development of their bioprocess and, and core to development of their uh, like a cost efficient uh, manufacturing process. It tends to be a bottleneck for them where they would be wanting to run many more of these bioreactor experiments than they than they can presently. It's very costly to buy these bioreactors. It's also very costly to uh, operate them. It's Very unautomated typically. So. Um, that was a pretty interesting sort of set of facts. And the other thing that was interesting to know when we were talking to all these companies about running their bioreactors is, you know, it wasn't something that was their core secret sauce, you know, operating bioreactors in their laboratories. Um, it was sort of a pain point and a bottleneck and something that was costly. And it wasn't something that where because of their um, the way that they had been, uh, you know, operating their systems and and doing uh, building out their labs. It wasn't like their core competency. Um, so all of that together made us feel like that there was an interesting opportunity. Like what if you could make a different version of this bioreactor infrastructure um, where it was um, accessible in the cloud, where you don't have to build up the laboratory. You can instead access a different laboratory, um, design your experiments on, uh, you know, on the web, on a, on a software platform. Um, look at all the data in real time, um, track all the logistics of the experiments, and you can just sort of pay, you know, for access to that infrastructure, um, and um, you don't have to uh, build all of it out yourself, which is so time-consuming. So we saw that as a pretty, uh, again, pretty obvious, but pretty interesting idea, but also at the time was very novel, and sort of remains novel, Um, Meaning this way of this concept of like a a cloud lab of bioreactors is not, wasn't present at the time. What was common then was building up your own laboratories um, and, um, be you know, in other words, being vertically integrated. So we sort of saw, okay, this is an interesting opportunity where we can get really, really, really good at um, designing these bioreactors, running them, creating the sort of software to allow our customers to interface with them you know, over time, make better and better software tooling for the design of experiments, for the data analysis, um, and make a really great sort of tool that all of these different sort of synthetic biology companies can utilize to develop their bioprocesses. So that was that was the concept, and that's really what we did build in the next five years. If you fast forward, um, you know, now we have, a couple like at least what I think it's like two hundred reactors in our facility, and we have a you know uh, we call it the cloud console where our clients log in and, and do their logistics and look at all their data in real time. Um, and we have many of many customers, um, you know I think it's over twenty now who are using us on an ongoing basis. We have um, you know some of those early customers that we were talking to are are now clients. so, You know, I think that um, that sort of concept that we had developed about almost six years ago now is sort of what we did end up creating uh, and, you know, continue to work on improving and making better and better and expanding. I would say the other big thing that happened, one of of the big things that happened in a part of the whole journey is that we sort of. We had this sort of narrow focus at the time, you know, when we started six years ago with um, we were talking about these synthetic biology companies, right? Like I mentioned, um, and the sort of scope of applications was actually a lot broader than that. So um, today we work a lot with, we work with many biopharmaceutical companies. Um, We work a lot, we work with several um, bioagriculture companies. And um, so that's those are both very exciting spaces as well um, for the pharmaceutical side, we have developed this a, a new version of our system for uh, mammalian cell culture uh because the vast majority of therapeutic products are produced in mammalian cells, so we now have a sort of mammalian cell version of the infrastructure as well um and then I would say the other big thing that, you know, probably would have been obvious at the, it's sort of obvious at the beginning, but uh, maybe we didn't really recognize at the beginning was that, um, you know, customers, they'd be working with us to develop their processes at this bench scale. And they, would you know, we got some, we had so many customer conversations where they're like, can't you please also provide the same service at a, at a larger scale? at, you know, we'd love to run some five liter reactors. We'd love to do pilot scale manufacturing with you all. Um, And so, you know, almost from the beginning we got those requests as well. So um, we started building larger scale reactors a few years ago. We now have a five liter system in our infrastructure. We're in the process of building a 250 liter system which would be for like a pilot scale manufacturing service and we, you know, will look at continuing to build larger and larger scale versions of our technology.
0: Well, wow, So that 250 liter is still considered part of the cloud, right? Yeah, exactly. Like
1: it's, wow. it would be a, like a part of this sort of cloud service that we provide, this cloud infrastructure. Um, again, where you can think about it as, again, it's trying to replace the need for all of these companies in the space to build out their own bench skill, bench skill operations pilot operations they can start relying on culture for all of that and they can focus more so on just the science and des- designing a good product um, so that's you know that's the vision that we have
0: when you guys started were there any other kind of similar services and and you you know I I see the the term I think cloud lab on the on the website I love that I mean it makes so much sense was there anybody else doing this at the time
1: yeah so There was some inspiration from a, there's a a few different groups. So um, there was a current, well, there's still Emerald Cloud Lab. That is a a group, uh, but Transcriptic and and Emerald Cloud Lab started, I think, in like 2012 or 2013. And they had a a pretty broad vision, both groups. They started around the same time, and they they had a a very similar vision of creating a a generalized um, laboratory in the cloud that is interfaced by in software where you're saying, Hey, here's all the experiments I want to run. And then they are all scripted and then they get all executed in an automated system at ECL or at transcriptic. And, um, so that was a concept, um, that still lives on. It hasn't necessarily taken off. Um, and that's a probably a different conversation about sort of why, but that sort of, vision I think definitely there you know was inspiring at the time about um this this like the benefits of digitization of uh and 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 virtualization of the work and and how that can be um really impactful the other thing though is that we are very aware of the traditional service providers in biomanufacturing which are more common in the biopharmaceutical space which are all the cdmos the CDMO is a, is a massive industry and market of companies that support the development and scale up and manufacturing of drug products. So we're very, very familiar with um, how those um, companies work and what's g- great about them. And then also what are some of the limitations? Um, and we saw, you know, that in, in that CDMO space, there also is, there's uh not very much digitization of the customer experience. So the virtualization of the uh, logistics and that data analysis, it's much more of a sort of a traditional uh, way of operating where you would um, uh, sort of give some high level instructions, go through a a tech transfer process, um, tell them the experiment or the the manufacturing run you wanna run uh, and then sort of Learn about the results uh, several weeks, if not months later, um, through a through a you know a lot a lot of data and, and that comes back in an unstructured format. Not, that's just the way that the you know industry works, and it, it, um, and we sort of saw an opportunity to to bring more virtualization and digitization of that to that where you could have a much you know a real time experience um, looking at all the data, have more control as if it was in your own laboratory. Uh, but still make it sort of the benefits of not having to build out your own infrastructure. So we're also very aware of this, that CDMO market and the, again, like what, why people would use CDMOs in the biopharma space, but also the limitations in in order to understand how to position culture's offering uh, compared to that.
0: When I think of, you know, I guess a traditional web server, you do AWS, you would never have to go on site or anything like that in this scenario, would anybody that is, you know, working with you guys need to go on site to either set things up, um, or is it, you know, completely, you know, uh, separate, do they just send you kind of some of the, I guess, materials needed or, or how, how does yeah that
1: they just send us everything. And then they they view everything uh, you know from their own home or office. So they send us org- you know their organisms they're working with, um, media components, or or we'll purchase the media components on their behalf. Um, and then and then we do everything. Um, it's it's very common that customers want to come for tours um, to sort of see the operation and understand how it works. But uh, we don't have customers um, who that come on site to actually work with us while we do the work, like we're we're doing the work and and performing performing the work and they're sort of at their location and site.
0: How much customization would you say there is for each batch of experiments? It seems like there's quite a bit of setup process for each experiment, is that right? Yeah, so
1: every process is different um, and most of those process differences are covered by the recipe. So the recipe means in a bioprocessor would be the set of steps that are executed, uh, in order to brew up your organisms, right? It's, it's similar to a recipe for making a cake or, for you know, anything else. So every, every customer has a different recipe and that is for the most part, just covered by, it's a different, uh, script, like it's different code that goes onto the bioreactor and gets executed. There also are different steps. Um, before and after the bioreactor for different customers so we have to have flexibility in our operations to cover those so for example the seed process so going into a bioreactor you first culture up some cells usually in a flask there'll be some different variations there depending on the customers and so you have to have enough flexibility in the way you do the operation to cover those different seed processes similarly uh, you know you run a bioprocess in the reactor you take samples that come out of the reactor and you need to process them in different ways depending on the customer so we have to build in um, flexibility in our operations to cover that what we internally we have this concept of what we call the menu quote unquote which is basically our set of you know the set of operations that we can cover where we have set up the sops and and ways of operating to cover that sort of that scope not everything is in the menu though and sometimes there are things that are totally bespoke to a customer and we just, we are not set up to cover those things. And that happens. It's not frequent at this point, but um, there just sometimes are things that are a, a totally different sampling process or a totally strange seed processor or what have you. And we, we're just not gonna be able to cover it. So that does happen and we just can't cover those things, but broadly, um, we have enough flexibility in our systems and processes um, to cover the, the vast majority of customers who come to us.
0: So this is really cool. And it seems like you know, there could be you know, research going on where there could be a startup that doesn't necessarily even have a bioreactor, but they're ready to go to bioreactors. And before they do that, or instead of doing that, they send it to you guys, and then you guys set up that entire process for them and continue to run the experiments.
1: Yeah, I would say a, a couple things though. Our our vision here is that um, biotech companies, like companies who are product companies producing a new alt protein or, or whatever, they still need to be the core technologists and product developers and scientists. Like they need to develop the 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 IP and also the knowledge of how do you develop a develop the bioprocess, develop the organism. We're not in the business of like, where this, by the way, this just wouldn't work, but um, we're not in the business of company comes to us, they have an organism and they're like, Hey, just develop the process for us. Um, We actually don't do that. We actually don't want to do that. We we believe the right approach is that these biotech companies should have that sort of know-how and knowledge internally, and then they can rely on us for their infrastructure. And, you know, that's the bench scale infrastructure today, but, you know, in the future it would be the pilot scale infrastructure and, you know, that they could rely on us, but we still want those companies to be really, really experts on developing the process. And we want to help them and we want to assist them as much as we can, we're going to build better and better software tools to give them, you know, really good design tools and analysis tools. But we want those, those folks to be the experts. Um, and I, one of the reasons is, is it's just, it's actually, it's a needed thing because um, you can't do the strain engineering in a silo. And then like, th- like, let's say you do some strain engineering to make a organism that makes like some, some alt protein. You can't just like do some of that and then kick it over to a different group and like have them quote unquote like optimize the process and then you're done. That's just not how it works. Like all of this work needs to happen. In close connection, like you need to do the strain engineering and close connection to how you're going to do the bioprocess development, in close connection to how you're going to do the downstream purification development. All those things need to happen together. And so they all need to happen at that product company. So when we think about, like, how does what's the future of how bioproducts are developed, you still need all of that sort of core technology, core technical understanding uh, to be happening at the product company. But I think they can be relying on. You know, pieces of infrastructure like culture. So anyway, I just want to—it's an important clarification because um, I think like um, it's not a good idea, right? If we have—if there's a company, if they're a young company or what have you—that hey, we have a—we have an organism that's now making a little bit of this thing. Like, let's give it to culture, and then they'll make a process and give it back to us. That's just not really a good. It's not an approach that can really work. Um, It still requires that company to build out. To sort of bioprocesses process know-how uh, and then they can they can instead of building out the, all all their infrastructure that's where they want we want them to come to us we want to like don't don't go buy 12 24 36 fire reactors uh, and build out you know a team of 10 to 20 people right like you can we can you can rely on culture for that piece and we we can really accelerate that company instead of having to spend a year or two building all those operations out and spending millions of dollars that's what you can rely on culture to do. Um, and, but you still need to hire really great scientists and do, the, and do the, the core R&D work.
0: I think, yeah, I think that totally makes sense, especially from an IP standpoint. And I'm chuckling a little bit because I have, I have two examples. Maybe you could, t- you could tell me if these examples are good. But if I'm like, let's say, printing something, I will design it. I will kind of print it maybe once at home, and then I'll go to a print shop to print more. In this scenario, it's not necessarily, you know, we're going to get a final product. It's more about the data is the final product. But I, I don't have to buy an industrial printer. I could just, you know, the first sample I have is just my home printer. Next one is, if I'm building a food product, I could go to a, a co-packer or co-manufacturer, and I would be required to like give them the recipe and maybe even the ingredients, right? And then they mm-hmm. just kind of put it together and give me 50,000 units. Whereas otherwise, I would have to it kind of do it very slowly in my in my own commercial kitchen. Would you say that's a better example?
1: The second example, the co-manufacturer for the food industry is a good example of where we're going to be, that our pilot scale manufacturing is more for that. The example in the food case is, let's say, I don't know, you're making some kind of, you're, you're trying to make a really optimized like chocolate chip cookie. And right now, the way you're doing that is like, you have your KitchenAid mixers and you have your various ingredients and you have your oven and um, you're making, and you can do like, you know, every hour you can do one experiment, like one new chocolate chip recipe. Um, And let's say there was some chocolate chip optimization company, (laughs) uh, infrastructure company that had like 500 KitchenAid mixers and they have like 500 ovens and like all the different types of like chocolate chip cookie stuff. And you're like, Okay, I'm not actually going to, I don't, like, I've done a couple of, you know, chocolate chip optimizations here at home, but actually I need to, like, work with this, like, this chocolate chip optimization company um, who has all the infrastructure, and I'm going to tell them, here's, like, 300 different recipes I want to get executed and make chocolate chip cookies. Send me back all the chocolate chip cookies, and I'm going to have this big party, and I'm going to, like, taste them all, and we're going to find the best one, but um, I don't have 300 KitchenAid mixers and and 300 ovens, um, so... You're going to be you know our infrastructure for for the development of the chocolate chip cookies <laughs> and so that's sort of the use case um because like again in to develop a protein uh that is being produced like you know a food protein that you want to make in a fermentation process it is a extremely like empirically driven optimization process like it, like I'm not like exaggerating. It will it will require thousands of different experiments, individual experiments, and in, in small scale bioreactors to create an optimal process that has that hits the you know cost of goods um, required to to hit the gross margins at scale. So it, it really does require this extraordinary empirically driven process. So so most companies would be thinking about doing that by building out you know 10s 20s 30s 40 bioreactor lab, like in a lab where you're just run cranking out experiments right so again that's that's the use case is like all of that infrastructure for for doing the R&D work um, you know instead of having to build it all out yourself you can rely on a third party for that
0: I love it and and maybe this is the first time a kitchen aid mixer has been you know compared to a, a bioreactor <laughs> but i'm sure the scientists in, in that are listening I think they're going to love that that uh, example. <laughs> <laughs> so we've talked uh, about kind of the process, or I, I should actually say platform, this robust platform that you guys have built. And now we clearly know that it's not about, you shouldn't go out and buy, for example, 12 or, or 24 bioreactors. You could use a platform like this and and maybe even get more data. But I think that it would be interesting now to talk about the different applications. So we we've talked about, proteins we've talked about a little bit about moo free perfect day or Geltor. we kind of understand those types of applications here but what about cultured meat what would be uh, the use case of cultured meat and and i also want to say you know you mentioned a couple other things in alt protein ag biologicals i'd love to get into that as well but tell us how a cultured meat company would would work in this case
1: yeah so the first thing i'll say is that we presently haven't worked with any cultured meat companies it's not that we couldn't work at the cultured meat company, but it's just, it's not been a fit yet. And the, the, the main reason why is that the majority of the cultured meat companies are doing um, adherent cell culture. And that's just not a process we support or plan to support. Um, so our, you know, our, the, the technical requirement, the, basically that, that if, if the cultured meat company has that as a strong technical requirement. It's not something we can do or you know in our in our setup. Now, in principle, uh, cultured meat companies should be a really good fit for this bench scale cloud bioreactor infrastructure. The main reason why is these companies need to do an incredible amount of optimization to increase their yields in order to lower their cost of goods sold, right? Like they need, in their case, instead of, so for an alt protein company, you're really trying to optimize, um, you know, the, the yield of your product, like lots of protein, um, your, your protein per unit volume, which is the technical te- term for that is titer. Um, you're really trying to up your titer as much as possible. In the pharma in- industry, where you're making a biologic, you're, you also care about titer. You, you want to make a lot of grams of your biotherapeutic protein. Um, but you also really care about product quality, so you're you're optimizing for product quality and, and tighter in the pharma industry. For cultured meat, what you're optimizing for is the the number of cells that you are um, producing in your bioprocess. You want a very very high amount of uh, you know cell density or, or or productivity in your in your process. And um, you know and you're you're also trying to reduce the the cost of your inputs um, so all the media components et cetera. so there's a lot of optimization that needs to happen um, in in and uh, for cultured meat clients uh, and you would need to do a lot of different experiments to do so um, so that that would be the the core use case for those companies would be you know, trying out different media formulations trying out different process conditions uh, in order to um, up their yields, up their producti- productivity, um, and also lowering the cost of their inputs.
0: Okay, interesting. So there are there are ways in the overall process of creating cultured meat that this platform could help them scale, but not necessarily in terms of cell growth, at least at this time.
1: It's just It just depends on... So let me take a step back. I have a pretty strong perspective that I'm totally open about, which is I don't think any adherent cell culture process in cultured meat like stands any chance of scaling and being like commercially viable. Unless I'm missing something, which I totally could be, because I'm not an expert in this space. I just don't see a path to making like economical cultured meat using adherent cell culture. Now, a lot of the companies in this cultured meat space, I believe, I'm not positive, but I believe, are working towards creating uh, suspension cell lines um, and you know this is the path this is sort of a tried and true path in mammalian cell culture and bioproduction in the pharmaceutical space where um, you know some cell lines which started out as adherent cell lines you know the in order to lower increase yields lower cogs uh, they, they through a lot of engineering those adherent cell lines were turned into suspension cell lines uh the like HEK cells are the the most obvious example in viral vector manufacturing so what is very likely to happen in cultured meat is there should you know will be a lot of uh development of suspension cell lines uh, and at that for when that happens, we should be a great um we should be a great piece of infrastructure for those groups to optimize those uh suspension cell line uh you know culture processes so that's just and I'm happy to talk more about that but um again, we've sort of made a choice not to develop a like adherent cell culture system because I don't see, I don't think we see a, we don't see a path to that being a uh, a scalable process uh, in the cultured meat space.
0: I think there might be some listeners that are thinking, Alex, you need to follow up with this question or that question, but I don't know what question to follow up with. So, <laughs> uh, so I, if, if you, if you're listening and you have questions or, or feedback, Feel free to tag us and, and maybe we can respond after the show. But I think it's a very interesting discussion point. But for the sake of time, I'd love to actually ask you about this 250 liter pilot platform that, that you guys will be building out. Now, the first question I have is, for something like that, would there be required or would it be expected that someone from the team would be on site in this scenario?
1: No, no, it, that would not be expected. Um, so, you know, we would expect to run that system, just like we run our 250 ML or five liter systems. Um, and we, yeah, we wouldn't expect a client to have to travel, uh, to our site and,
0: uh, be present. And how much, I guess, out of my own curiosity, how much of the system can be adjusted through the, I guess the, the cloud platforms or the, the web interface, how much of that can be adjusted? That's
1: a great question. So by currently by our team, like everything can be adjusted by the web platform. So that's how we, you know, we don't, there's no, um, there's no, uh, when you walk up to our bioreactors, there's, there's nothing there to poke at, <laughs> like from a, um, yeah, there's no uh, computer screen. There's no way of uh, getting the, you know, everything's in the cloud. So all the control systems, everything is on the web. Already, we're you know um, we're being pretty careful about creating the customer experience and and what they current what they have control over. Um, and so today, um, our team would still be the ones who program the system and program the recipes and get all the sort of um, uh, have all the sort of do all the controls. Um, and we're working towards a future state where more and more of that is uh, surfaced to the customer to have direct control over um, in real time. where we're sort of you know, taken out of the loop even from a design perspective or from a controls perspective. But presently, our team uh, is 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 charged with um, you know scripting the systems and getting them set up uh, through our web platform.
0: And would you say that a lot of that is automated such that, once a change happens on the web platform, if it is something that can be controlled automatically, so to speak, it would happen? Or would it be more of like, something is changed to the web platform, and then you know someone actually goes to the unit and makes the adjustment? Or is it a mix of both?
1: Oh, so everything that is uh, related to the bioreactor is directly controlled from the web platform. I mean, oh, wow. quite literally, the way it works is like, you would Make a change in the web platform; it gets pushed down to the local computer, and then it immediately like goes into practice. So there's actually literally no way of walking up to the, the reactor and programming
0: it. Um, it's That's cool. Through, it's all through the web. <laughs> okay, so that also means that somebody can make a mistake through the web platform, right? And maybe you know set the wrong setting, and then that experiment mm-hmm. is oh wow, okay. So it's it's really a true. Cloud experience in in that sense
1: yeah, it is it is truly all being run in the cloud, uh, like all the con- yeah exactly.
0: You know, this has been really fascinating, and I think I, I probably have a laundry list of questions. you know my background is in UI design and software design, so I, I will naturally have a lot of questions about the interface and things like that. But to conclude, I want to ask you, you know for those that are listening either interested in getting involved, interested in learning more. What is the best way to reach out to you and the team?
1: Well, you're always welcome to reach out to, to me directly. And my, my email is very simple. to will at culturebiosciences.com. So I totally welcome anyone with questions or comments or thoughts um, to reach out. Um, if you're someone who's interested, if you're a student who's interested in an internship or you are someone looking for a new job application, we have a lot of different opportunities that are posted on our website, on our careers page. Um, sometimes also it can be useful just to send a, send an email to our, um, sort of our general inquiries email, email account, which is quite actively monitored, just like inquiries at culturebiosciences.com. So those are probably the two best ways.
0: Awesome. And where is the facility located? And you mentioned that there's the opportunity to tour. Do you guys give tours only to potential clients or do you have open tours for those that are interested?
1: That's a good question. Um, so our core facility today is in South San Francisco, and we do give tours. um we don't give open tours, I would say. um it's sort of on a case by case basis. We do give a lot of tours to clients um, and we are also because we're very thoughtful about giving tours for customer intellectual property, and we like have a constrained area where we tour, so we're we're never in any. We're never in a room, for example, with any customer intellectual property, and, and uh, so we we do tend to be quite careful there. And so there is a little bit of discretion that is important for us when we when giving tours. So it's mostly focused on potential clients, um, um, but um, but you know we do we do from time to time give more open tours for other folks. And so uh, if if some of those if folks are interested, you know again. Feel free to reach out and, and it's you know possible that we could set something up.
0: Excellent. Well, thank you so much. Do you have any last insights for our listeners before we close off?
1: No, I mean, I just I I continue to be just inspired and blown away by the possibilities of biomanufacturing. I mean, we're six years in and I feel that strong more strongly than ever. And it's it's been so fun to just see the, you know, the industry. Advance and develop in this time, um, and uh, you know, I I think the cellular agriculture space is one. When we started, I would have never thought that it would have grown and been as sort of impactful and yeah, fast growing as it's been, and that's been in- incredibly interesting to see. Um, I think you know, I I wouldn't have predicted six years ago about how important like heme protein would have been to the impossible burger and all of these other you know the success of Geltor and making their their collagens and these very real impactful products that are that are getting out there. Uh, I don't think I would have predicted that, and it's really neat to see that um progress and um you know, I continue to just be inspired and um I just feel really lucky to be in this role um, at this company where we're helping all these different types of businesses and product applications. Like just yesterday, I was giving a tour to a, a candidate who might, uh, were, we're looking to join culture and we were walking down the halls and, you know, we passed by the mammalian cell culture room where we, we were working actively on a, a, a you know, biologic therapeutic and, and working on that. We We walked by our our room where we have our um uh sporulating fungi and that's particularly for ag biologicals and so there was you know work going on in there for you know um fertilizers and pesticides that are biological and then you walk down the hall again and you get to the microbial fermentation room where there's companies making enzymes and companies making alternative proteins and it's just amazing and i just that's the most fun and awesome part of my role and my work. Um, and, uh, I just, yeah, I just feel really lucky to be in that position of sort of being able to have this sort of broader, broader view on all these different industries and, and play a very, very small role in helping push along these, these transformative products. So, um, that continues to give me a lot of inspiration and energy and, um, you know, I just think again. There's a, there's a lot there's a lot to be excited about. There's a lot to be hopeful for and optimistic about in terms of the future of the space and what's possible. And it just continues to get me out of bed in the morning and, and keep doing what I'm doing.
0: Definitely inspiring words, and it really is looking into the this this future of biotech. So, Will, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you. I really appreciate it. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. This is your host Alex, and we look forward to seeing you on our next episode. This program was produced by H-Media. See you soon.